0: to the Sailor's Daughter podcast, where we are navigating personal and professional resilience. My name is Kimber Marie, and I am the Sailor's Daughter. In today's episode, I am very excited. I know I say this before every single interview I post here, uh, but I'm interviewing um, a mentor of mine from school, Dr. Chris Leupold. Uh He is an organizational psychologist, um, That, or at least that was his background uh, when he Would go and work in um, organizational settings to help with leadership and helping leaders become more effective leaders. Uh, He now is a full time professor at Elon University and is uh, the advisor for leadership fellows at Elon University School of Law, which is how I met him. Um, I've known him for a little over two years now, and he is. great mentor at school. He's always there for his students and was actually giving a presentation to the leadership fellows a couple weeks ago and it hit me that he would be the perfect person to talk on the subjects of leadership and resilience. So that is why we're here today. Um, In today's episode, Dr. L is going to be going over his background in psychology to start, um, what it's like learning and working with psychology in an academic setting versus a workplace setting. And then we'll dive into leadership and how it's a multifaceted, um, it's a multifaceted subject that is often spoken of in a way as if leadership just exists on its own. Uh, But when you get to the heart of leadership, there's so much more to it um, than just being a leader. Um, Dr. L., speaks on the subject of what it means to lead with humility and have a servant mindset um, as well as looking at it on a micro and macro level and then we finish up with discussing his favorite leaders that he's learned from uh, both in his personal life and just like in a more historical setting so I hope you enjoy today's episode and that you can walk away with some good advice on how to be a more effective leader. All right, so just to start, um, if you don't mind telling me a little bit about your background in psychology and how you got to where you are today.
1: Sure. So I was an undergraduate psychology major uh, at the University of Notre Dame. And uh, I just liked psychology then because, you know, understanding the motivations that people had for the behaviors they engaged in. And then I graduated. I wasn't sure what area of psychology specifically I wanted to go into. Um, most people want to go into counseling or clinical where they're treating patients. Um, But I didn't want to do that, but I had heard of industrial organizational psychology, which is the psychology of the workplace or psychology of um, organizations, the behavior in organizations. So I went to the University of North Carolina, Charlotte, where I earned my master's degree in industrial organizational psychology, took courses on performance evaluation, uh, hiring systems, how to design organizations, teams. And leadership was one of the the main uh, subject areas. I finished there, and then I went to Wayne State University in Detroit, Michigan, where I earned my doctorate uh, in the same uh, field. And towards the end of my doctoral uh, training, I began working at some local organizations in uh, organizational and leadership consulting. So that was my first taste of taking all of these academic learnings and bringing them to the outside, and as opposed to just reading about research theories and studies and so forth, helping people enhance their leadership effectiveness and enhance their organizations. So I worked for a firm um, for about five or six years uh, with a lot of different industries where they would call me and ask them to help them identify uh, which which leader would be the, the best person out of a, a slate of candidates. So we would do assessments and interviews and testing. And that's where I really began to understand the differences in leadership styles, that there are a whole bunch of different ways to be successful, different mm-hmm. configurations, but it's dependent on the organization and the situation. So I would help them make decisions there. And then I did a lot of one-on-one work with leaders Uh, People call it executive coaching or executive counseling, where I would help them think through uh, some of the challenges they were having and uh, teach them new skills and help them gain insight. Then I worked for the Home Depot, and there I did much of the same things um, working with leaders, identifying high potential leaders, working on succession planning, uh, trying to identify who are. the the younger, high-potential leaders who maybe in 20 years could be officers of the company. So identifying them and working with them to to help accelerate uh, their growth. Then I left and came to Elon University. I had always dreamed of teaching at a small liberal arts university that was undergraduate-focused, uh, where the research requirements are reasonable, most of the time is spent teaching and mentoring. Uh, so I've I've been doing that for about twenty years. Um, teaching courses in my field in industrial psychology. Uh, I've overseen the leadership development um, program on campus, the leadership minor, and then I still continue to work with leaders outside of academics. So I still engage in consulting. So. Now, I have the academic side of leadership, teaching it and mentoring leadership. And then I have the consulting side where I'm actually working with leaders out in industry.
0: Would you say there's a big difference between those two, between the academic versus um, when you're, I guess, like in a, uh, or I don't want to say a real world setting, but you know, <laughs> a work mm-hmm. setting, right. I guess?
1: It is different in an academic world. You know, my doctoral training, we did lots of reading about cutting edge research and how to design studies. and um you know, lots of half the courses I took were in statistical analyses and measurements. So you're really you're really taught to identify theories and then critique them um through research. And when I first made the transition into uh, the the uh, the real world for lack, the the non-academic world, you know, I realized that, you know, people weren't as interested in what's all the research. So I would start explaining, well, that you should do this. And here's why. And all the research, they they just didn't care. They didn't have time for it. They were more like, we want to get better. We trust you. Tell us what to do to get better and, and we'll do it. So that also came with a much greater, um, Premium on on time in academics, you read about things and and you can debate them, but it's very different when you have a leader who's struggling, who whose job might be in jeopardy, whose organization might be faltering. So it becomes very real and and the sense of urgency. Um, so yeah, that that was a big difference, the big difference that I that I had to learn going from one to the other.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that actually leads into my first question for you, which is kind of introducing leadership and in those settings where you were teaching someone like how to be a better or a more effective leader, what were some practical steps that you would advise them to doing that?
1: So I think first, what people need to understand is, is leadership. It's not just one thing. I think a lot of people think leadership is this ethereal Construct or concept that you you have or or you don't, and I think the first thing is understanding leadership. It's a it's a combination of a whole bunch of different behaviors and attitudes, and to develop as a leader, it it takes work. Like you have to you have to learn and try new new things, and I think a lot of leadership programs they'll talk about you know, setting new strategic directions and and, and empowerment and transforming things. And that's all wonderful, but that's like really hard to do. Nobody just steps in and starts doing that. A lot of leadership is really hard. No matter how good your idea is going to be, someone is going to resist you. You're never going to have the resources you want or the time. There's always going to be obstacles that come into play. So I think the first thing people need to do when they that they want to become better leaders is, is acknowledge that it is a collection of a whole bunch of behaviors. It's not this magical thing where you you go to a, a week-long seminar and all of a sudden are, are a leader. Um, I think the other thing that I think is helpful for people to think about is what, what is leadership? And I think people, again, they think of you know big strategic directions and big, bold innovative ideas, again, that is all good. But when it comes down to it, leadership is just one person influencing someone else to do something that makes things a little bit better. And that's not a sexy definition, but in the mm-hmm. end, that's what leadership is doing. It's yeah. leaders are trying to get people to do something different. And of course, getting them to do something that will be beneficial to them you know, and the, and the organization. So I think if people keep that in mind it's kind of a reality check. If a leader is trying to get something, you know, to happen, what is the leader doing to get people to to listen and and to 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 gain their trust and to follow through and engage in that behavior. So I guess simplifying it, it's not this magical thing that just happens. It's thinking, okay, what's the best way I can move this person? And a great leader will have a whole bunch of skills and techniques to try to, to do that because people are, are different. Um, another thing, you know, a simple thing is when you ask people, what, what does a great leader do? It's one of those things, a lot of people, everybody kind of knows what it is, Mm. but when you ask somebody to define it, you know, there, there are thousands of definitions, but I think, so if someone wants to develop themselves as a leader, you know, one thing that they should do is, is identify a person whom they emulate like what kind of leader do you want to be you know whom do you listen to whom has, who has influenced you whom do you want to be like and then really pay attention to the specific behaviors that they're doing how are they facilitating conversations how are they addressing conflict um again, a lot of it is just sort of investigative work and, and learning those behaviors and, um, you know, to try, trying them out. The other thing is, I know I'm kind of going, going off on this. I think at least today, successful leaders need to have a, a servant leadership orientation, which is a little bit different in the past. And and I think it used to be leaders got people to do things now. Um, servant leadership it's more about how can i help people be be successful and i think what that requires is a little bit more humility
0: mm-hmm.
1: in recognizing i mean nobody likes to be told what to do and effective leaders ineffective leaders try to do that and it doesn't work but what they do is they're like okay what can i do to connect with pers- this person to gain their trust and what can i do to help them see you know this this better future and how can i get them to trust me and i think that does take humility in 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 being able to to do that anyone who gets too jazzed about i want to be a leader probably has some work to do they need to take some it's steps it. yeah because it you know it it doesn't it doesn't work in in the long run
0: mm-hmm. is this and i do have a follow up question yeah. on the way you define leadership. So would you say this is similar to nudge theory or is that kind of like a completely separate area of like behavioral sciences, I guess?
1: I'll be honest, I'm not even familiar with nudge theory. (laughs) So
0: I was doing research on regulating like the technology industry and came across it and I had never heard of it. And it's basically um, like a behavioral theory looking at, you're trying to balance, you're trying to get like an entity or a person to move in a certain direction that otherwise they probably wouldn't, but you don't want to make it seem like you're making them do it. Um, so you're kind of balancing their ability to make choices, but also directing them at the same time.
1: Got it. Um, I, somewhat similar, but I would add again, great leaders. I do think, um, a lot of it comes down to, to values. And I think great leaders, you know, they have this, this desire to to help other people achieve something that that benefits that that individual. So it's not just the way you described that I could see nudge theory, you know, you're, you're inducing people, trying to get them to move mm-hmm. along towards something. Leadership may be that way, but I think it always starts off with what is in the best interest of this person right so it's not a manipulative thing and what great leaders do is they will try to understand this individual what are their values what are their motivations um, what do they want to achieve what are their goals and what great leaders are able to do is develop a relationship around trust where an individual begins sharing that and then the leader is able to use that information in i don't mean use not, not in a manipulative way but but helping the individual connect the dots and say, okay, well, you know, if this is your goal, you know, right now, if you can do this for the organization, you know, this will put you in a better place for that promotion. Or, you know, in in 20 years, you said you want to have an international experience, maybe doing this activity right now will put you in a better position for that. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's almost like a, Great leaders, ideally, and it's very hard to do this. It's almost like a personal kind of guide and, and counselor of moving somebody in a, along where they're achieving their own personal goals, but at the same time, in a way that's aligned with the organization's goals and the organization's values.
0: So, Yoda, basically.
1: Yeah, I, I think it is, and yeah. you know, people talk about who the greatest leaders you know, that they ever had were. And I asked people that, and a lot of times it's a family member. It's a, it's a middle school soccer coach. Um, and when you think, I mean, anyone can think back, who are the people you really listen to? People try to influence you all the time on all sorts of things. And many of them you ignore, even though they're really smart and they have great reputations and they're good people, but who do you listen to? Well, it's people that you know for sure they have your best interest at heart. Yeah. You know that they want you to, to be what you want to to be. And that's what great leaders are able to do. And again, that's an awfully tall task. Not everybody can do that. And if you've got a whole bunch of people in your organization, it makes it that much harder. But I do think people can send signals, again, I keep going back to the word humility. People recognize that. They appreciate a leader who can acknowledge when they make a mistake. They can appreciate a leader within reason who can say, "I need help or I did this wrong or, you know, what can I do to to help you? And I think that is a thing that people look for 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 trust, you know, humility. this person's not trying to dominate me or or whatever they're willing to bring themselves to, to my level on a, you know, more intimate, on a more intimate basis. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that actually, so we've been talking a little bit about like kind of in the organization setting, like in a workplace. Um, I was hoping you could speak a little on, you know, how does leadership affect resilience and then looking at that on both an individual and kind of a societal level. So, why is leadership important to society at large? And why is it important to the individual? I think I, and the reason I wanted to ask this question is because I feel like when most people think of leadership, they think of, wasn't there a basketball coach, Wooten, who has mm-hmm. all the great like leadership quotes and yep. you go to like a weekend seminar and now you're a leader. Um, okay. But as you explained, it's, a, there's a lot more to it than that. Um, So I just would love to hear your thoughts on looking at it from a micro and macro level.
1: Sure. And I appreciate that you're making that distinction because a lot (laughs) of people don't. Um, And well, a couple of things. First off, you know, you mentioned we've been talking about organizational settings and, you know, probably thinking more along the lines of work. One of the things I tell students, though, is, is helping them understand that leadership happens In the smallest, even apparently insignificant settings, you know, if a student's in a study group, leadership can happen there. Can that individual influence somebody else to make for a better state, whether it's a a different studying approach or if somebody is studying and showing empathy or whatever. So leadership can happen everywhere, volunteer organizations, church groups, fraternities, sororities families, um, because we're always trying to influence and bring people to a better, a better place. Um, I think, um, you know, in terms of, you know, society, I think people, whether it's an innate thing or just something that we've learned over, you know, thousands of years, um, of looking to someone to kind of guide the whole group. I mean, it's hard for a collective group to move if everybody has different opinions. So I think intuitively, people like to think that there's this person in charge who can bring us where we need need to go, um, and whether it's just sort of a, a paternalistic or maternalistic feeling of being taken care of,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, I think I think that type of person has changed, uh, you know, over history. People would often look for, you know, the most most powerful and and strongest, and some people fantasize about that 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 strong leader who you know provides direction and and doesn't you know completely overly confident and just making things happen. Um, I don't think that works as well anymore. I think people like to know that their leaders, um, again, can show empathy, have that humility that they that they're human, that they. They do understand what people are thinking. That change is hard, and our society is difficult and scary often. So I think uh, a lot of people look for leaders to, to sort of saying, "Please, please help me have faith in this. That everything is going to be to be okay." I think that's a big, a big part of it, and that is hard to do. You mentioned, you know, people might go to a seminar and mm-hmm. for a week, and now they're a leader. One of the things that's hard is in those types of workshops and in leadership books, they'll talk about great leaders. Martin Luther King, right? Everybody knows Martin Luther King was a transformational leader and did all these amazing things. And it's all true, but it's also pretty hard to walk out of a workshop and, and try to live up to the Martin Luther King standard. I mean, that's once in a, you know every millennia, um, early <laughs> centuries. So I, I do think sometimes people, because of that they they underestimate what it takes and how hard it how hard it is. Um, I think at the micro level and and I think of the micro level is you' you're just studying the the person who's the leader. Like you're not even looking at another person yet. It's just one person and looking at their values and their strengths and their backgrounds and their experience and their goals and leaders they they good leaders they have a sense of that they know what their strengths are they know what their weaknesses are they can admit them um they tend to have a growth mindset they want to continue to to evolve and and so forth and i do think that for some people um maybe some more than others there's i think many people do have this desire to nurture others, whether it's having you know offspring or just other people that you're influencing, like a generative kind of thing. I, I do think many people have that. So even at the micro level, I think there are you know people understanding kind of the power that leader, not well, the power of influence, the good that can be done. And I think it's something that a lot of people just want, you know, whether it's in our DNA to you know, continue our, our influence, um, whether it be through genes or things that, that we're teaching. I think that's, that's important. Um, resilience. This is a topic that's getting more attention in leadership because once upon a time, people said, oh, if you want to be a great leader, do this, this, and that, and have these characteristics. And um, that's great if everything works out all the time, but we know it's not Going to and mm-hmm. you know one of the things um, contingency theory it basically says people used to think if you had these traits if you had a strong voice or confident then you were smart you'll be a leader well we know a lot of people that have those traits who are not good leaders and mm-hmm. we know people that don't have those who are so then theorists said leadership is all about what you do. So do this. They literally would have a checklist. This is the way you should run meetings. This is the way you should give feedback. Again, um, those don't always work, right? There are some situations where it's good to show empathy, and there are other situations it's better to yell a command. If the building is on fire, I'm not interested in how you (laughs) perceive the fire. I'm going to grab you, screen to get out. So... The point is it's so complex. There's always going to be setbacks. There's always going to be obstacles. And what great leaders do is they they show this resiliency. Um, they do that in a number of ways. One, they they know that they accept the fact that sometimes they're going to fail. And when they do, they, they don't have, well, one, they accept responsibility for it. They don't blame it on other people. Again, that's that humility they they learn from it they're continually looking how can i enhance my own portfolio of of skills and you can only do that if if you kind of dust yourself up and, and get back up again i think some people have a harder time doing that because uh they're so used to perfection and getting everything right all the time and i've seen that leaders there will be tremendous leaders for years and then they'll hit a point and something will happen bad where they fail, and they have a hard time recovering from it, whether it be casting blame or making excuses, or just not being able to say, I need to do something different and and work at it. Um, I guess leadership is so complex, I don't think anyone can assume that a style or a set of behaviors is always going to work. One of the My favorite theories now is adaptive leadership, which says that a leader's job is to really help other people prepare and adapt uh, to handle change, which makes sense because things just change so fast now. We, We no longer work in factories where we have the same job that's repetitive. The jobs that people, my students are going to have in 20 years probably don't exist yet. and. You know, when they do, they're going to change and people generally tend to be resistant to change. They're less resilient. Um, So I think the leader, the leaders of the future are really going to have to um, help people develop their resiliency, um, develop their ability and their willingness to adapt to change their ability and willingness to understand they will make mistakes, but then say, okay, I, I learned from that. Um, w- what can I do differently? And as soon as they have the right answer down understanding, it's probably going to change again. <laughs> so if that makes, makes sense, but leadership, yes, it is hard. It, it just is. Nobody is. I mean, I think of the U S presidency, if you only have 49% of the people hating you and thinking you're the most awful person, you're probably doing a decent job. Like it's just, <laughs> you know, you've got to be able to 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 accept um, accept that.
0: Yeah. Well, and that leads to my um final question. So looking at leadership and resilience, or both or one or the other, what would be your biggest piece of advice um that you would give to a person on those subjects?
1: Okay. Um a couple things. Um one is I remember students asked um, Connie Book, she's the president of Elon University, um, for whom I have tremendous respect for. She's an outstanding leader. And I invited her to come to one of my classes and she gave a presentation and then uh, opened up for questions. And a student asked that very question, like, what's the best piece, piece of advice? And the students, mind you, you're 19, 20 year old undergraduates, a lot of them were leadership fellows. So they studied leadership and they you know, had these grand ideas and so forth. And I think they were expecting her to say, follow your passion, think big, those typical sorts of things,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and, which is what a lot of them think leadership is. And she said, the best way to prepare yourself for leadership is anytime you are in a group And there are a bunch of tasks always take the hardest task that nobody else wants. And as you can imagine, students didn't like that because that's, that's hard. But her whole point was um, one, if you don't have resilience, it's going to force you to develop some, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, it's a hard task for, for a reason that, also, um, she talked about just the resourcefulness again, most big decisions leaders have, there's not a playbook or this is the exact thing to do, but especially in jobs today or organizations, everything is so complex. Everybody wants to make the right decision, but it, it's hard to, to, to figure out what that is. So her whole thing is it will force you to become resourceful. It will force you to learn fast, um, <laughs> it will force you to think in, in different ways and so forth. Um, it'll force you to, um, you know, deal, deal with the setbacks and so forth. So, and the more I think about it, she's, she's really right. Because people, to be a great leader, you need to continually grow and develop. If you're an introvert, you need to be able to be very comfortable and look natural on a stage with a large audience. If you are someone who is naturally a big picture thinking thinker and not into details, at some point you need to be able to present yourself as an incredibly detailed person because that's what they might need. So this versatility of, of skills, um, you know, the more, the only way you develop them is the more experiences you have um, and, and the more you, you learn from them. There's a concept that I really like. It's called learning agility. And basically what it is, people who are learning agile, they, first off, they they put themselves in lots of new experiences for the experience, whether it's solving different types of problems, whether it's interacting with different types of people, lots of experiences. And what they do is they continually learn from those experiences. And it becomes like a reservoir from which they draw upon later on. So again, every leader, you know, president book, she, uh, when she first started, there was a, a mumps pandemic at Elon. And, and then soon after that, you had, you had COVID, you had political unrest and, and she laughed. She said, yeah, at one point in time, she thought that was going to be the biggest challenge that she would have to manage. <laughs> So like many leaders, she had to learn how to lead during COVID on the fly. There's no handbook for this, but because of her ability, her willingness to always put herself in different positions and experience different things and then kind of learn from them, which again, takes humility. It's not saying this is the way to do it. It's well, what did this other person do? Or, you know, I tried something once before and it didn't work, but what if I did it in a different situation? The point is learning agile people, it's really more of a way of life. It's not like they have these experiences and then write in a journal. And so I learned how to do this. It's just more a natural, constantly putting oneself out there, trying new things, um, being okay with making mistakes, um, seeing everything as a learning opportunity. Um, The more people do of that, uh, the more flexible they come, leadership versatility is is a word, a phrase that I really like. And I think that helps people develop greater resiliency because you have more tools to to at your um, disposal um, for any situation that comes about.
0: I feel like there's a little bit of irony to like learning leadership because I feel like the people who want to learn about it are trying to get ahead of something but from everything you're telling me, it's like the more, you have to get more experiences to kind of get this wisdom to use. Uh, so it's just, it's funny to like think about it in that way, I guess.
1: It is. And, and I think, you know, these learnings, it doesn't even have to, learning agile people, it's not even even, it's not always when they're in a leadership position, like it's just daily life in general.
0: Yeah, you
1: know, going out and and talking to to different people or going to a, events. You know, maybe uh, someone who's a a diehard baseball fan goes to museums someday. So it can be just just part of life. And I I do think leaders still have um, you know, we've been talking about learning and resilience. I think they're all still going to have their, their vision and their mission of what they want to achieve. So I think that's always, always there. But what they're doing is they're figuring out, okay, how do I get there? I need as many tools in my repertoire uh, so I can manage every situation that comes into play in order to get to that superordinate goal. But I think, yeah, for some people it's like, you know, they would think leaders know everything they've arrived. They are leaders. That's why they're leaders. Whereas again, it's that humility. It's the person that says, I I don't know. I need, I need to learn more. I need to get more opinions and so forth. I think those are the leaders that people listen to now. And I keep coming back to that word humility, which, but it is the humility to say, I don't know everything, That I do need to learn this, that it's okay. If I fail a little bit, um,
0: yeah. Yeah. Well, I feel like that's very powerful in today's <laughs> today's culture, because there's I feel like there's a lot of pressure to know what you're doing, to have an answer the second you're given a question, you know, like there's really no time to kind of pause and collect yourself. Um, so I I like what you're saying, because I, <laughs> I feel like there needs to be more pauses, I guess.
1: That's you know, I I. I, I think you're right. and and I think it's uh, and I think some people still think, you know, leaders, not particularly good ones, um they don't recognize that. And politics aside, Donald Trump is an example of that. Again, mm-hmm. it, forget his politics. but you know, he I don't think anybody would disagree, he does not have the humility. And I think that was part of his persona. I don't need mm-hmm. it. I know everything. and, I compare him against, you know, Ronald Ronald Reagan who Ronald Reagan was again politics aside, he pretty much got everything done that he wanted to get done and he did have a strong persona, but what he did is he, you know, he, he I don't think he was a, he was a genius, but what he would do is tell his cabinet this is what I want it to look like. What do I do? How do I get there? Hmm. So again, that's even an element of humility. And again, you know, you have the most brilliant people and, and PhDs and lawyers and so forth. I think that's the difference with with Donald Trump. I mean, one of his faults is if he asked somebody and they gave his advisors gave an opinion he didn't like, it was you're wrong, you're, you know, which yep. which is a shame because you're, you fired. Ask, you're fired. Right. And, <laughs> and the problem is some people they hold on to that image, you know, that, that uh, you're out of here. And sometimes people do need to be fired. Don't get me wrong. But in cases like that, when you are at the highest, one of arguably the most powerful position in the world, and how can anyone know everything? I mean, you can't, but that unwillingness to say, you know, there's no learning agility there. There's no humility there saying, what, what can I learn here? It's like, no, based on my experience, this is the answer. And I think that and politics aside was the biggest, the biggest flaw, um, in him, the mm-hmm. unwillingness to learn and grow and say, maybe I don't know everything and
0: mm-hmm.
1: please help me help you. But yeah.
0: <laughs> well, that, those were all the questions I had for you, but I did think of one more, but it's quick. Yeah. Sure. So what is your favorite leader like in your own personal life maybe or like a leader I guess that you like to learn about
1: Um there's there's a couple um and so uh, yeah since you asked I'll, I'll share a couple of examples Um one going back to my point about how simple leadership can be it's just one it can be as small as one person influencing another person to make things a little bit better and I remember in college um I had a girlfriend for a couple of years and and you know she broke up with me and I was absolutely devastated and I remember he just didn't know what to do sort of walking around aimlessly and it was a Friday night all my friends had gone out and I was sitting in a stairwell just being sad like I didn't know what else to do or where to go and I remember a guy um his name was Ed Trafone. He was the residence, uh, you know, one of the RAs. And I knew of him. He didn't know me particularly well. And he just said, Hey, hey, you okay? And uh, I was sitting on, you know, step and I, I told him what happened. And, and he, 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 he didn't say, Oh, it's going to be okay. Or you're better off. He just, he just said, Yeah, I, I I'm so sorry. I, you know, I, I've been there. I know it really, really hurts. And He said, you know, something to the effect of he had to like walk his route. He only sat for a couple of minutes, but he said, you know, just, just know I'm thinking about you and if there's anything I can do, let me know. And to me, that was leadership. It was tiny, tiny, little, small thing. Hmm. The fact that I remember this from how many decades later, and he did help me. And that was good leadership because I try to do that for other people now. He did make me feel a little bit better. So I think that's, that's leadership. Um, one of the favorite leaders I like reading about just because she's different, um, her name is Frances Hesselbein and she was the president or CEO of the Girl Scouts of America in the seventies and eighties. And she, her story, uh, from Pittsburgh, um, you know, small town, I, I don't believe she went to college or may, maybe she went to, to community college and, you know, she tells her story that, uh, you know, they they needed somebody to lead the chapter there. So she, she, volunteered, um, anyway, she continued to do great things and and get promoted. And, uh, Jim Collins, who's a a famous, uh, leadership consultant, one of those people that probably charges a hundred thousand in appearance. Somebody asked him, who's the best CEO you've ever worked with. And he said, Francis Hasselbein. Now, Frances Hesselbein, she's, I believe she's still alive. She's probably, she's over a hundred. She might be 104, 105. Um, in her prime, I think she was maybe five feet, this tiny grandmotherly looking woman. And her whole approach to leadership was just, again, very humble. Um, she didn't do Harvard MBA speak. Um, she was just a real person who had a mission to, Uh, you know, the Girl Scouts, they wanted, I guess, enrollment was low, they wanted to merge them with the boys. And she redefined the mission and the vision, she made a lot of big decisions, she made it much more inclusive, you know, even changing the, whatever the the insignia or badge they had, it was, you know, the outline of a Caucasian girl, you know, she changed that, you know, had all different colors, made it more inclusive. Uh, She saved it. And, and really just by being authentic and just trying to do the right thing, not trying to impress anybody, just being humble. She was given the Presidential Medal of Freedom um, by President Clinton and uh, yeah, just phenomenal. I've had the pleasure of meeting her a couple of times. Again, it's like your grandmother and I've seen her speak and it's just the power that she has and her message is treat people with, with dignity. try to serve other people like it's, it's really not that complicated it's something that your grandmother might say yeah but it worked and she is actually well she was uh she would teach she taught classes at west point their leadership classes and again like the complete opposite of what people would think again this tiny frail woman teaching you know our military leaders But and I give the military credit, they get it, you know, even there where you have, you know, leaders can rely more on authority and position power. It's still connecting with people and and gaining their gaining their trust and respect, because if you do that, then they are willing to to follow to follow you.
0: I will have to check her out because I was in Girl Scouts. I don't remember remember her name, but now I want to read more about her because I love that.
1: The book uh, "My Life in Leadership," um, yeah, it, it's a it's a great book. It, it really is, and again, yeah. I I just like that, and in particular when I teach it in my classes, you know, because not everybody has a big voice or you know those presentation skills, and say this mm-hmm. small diminutive woman has all yeah. this leadership. Again, you talk about Yoda; that is Yoda. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I love that. Well, thank you so much for your time.
1: Good. That no, was my, my pleasure. Thanks.
0: And there you have it, my discussion with Dr. L. Um, again, I hope that it was helpful for those who love the subject of leadership or have been wanting to learn more about it. Um, having, I mean, the inspiration for this podcast were those three sayings that I would say every day before school, um, at the behest of my mom and dad about being a leader. And so I really enjoyed having this discussion and breaking down leadership further. I learned a lot. I think my favorite aspect of this conversation was really focusing on the fact that you don't have to be the loudest person in the room to be a leader. Um, most of the times where I've had someone be a good example for me in terms of being a leader or where I have you know, been a leader in certain situations are usually... In scenarios where I'm not necessarily like up on stage giving a big speech or um, you know leading a team per se, it's usually in the small moments where I'm having a conversation with someone or you know someone's giving me advice that I think leadership is is most effective. So that is another reason why I really wanted to have this discussion, because leadership is not about your title. It's not about how much you get paid sure you may get hired um to be in a position where it is in your job description but that doesn't mean that the people who you know work below you or above you or whatever it doesn't mean that they also can't be leaders in their own settings and i think that's just very important and if we have this leadership mindset especially when it comes from a place of practicing humility and how can I serve others, I really believe that the world would be a a much better place. So again, I hope you walked away with uh, some practical advice that you can try yourself or at least think about further. If you love this content, please consider subscribing to my Substack. You would get an email newsletter whenever I am posting blogs or new podcasts on there. I also write on medium.com. I have my own blog there where I write about Uh, legal news with intellectual property technology and entertainment you can follow me on instagram at kimber marie james as well as at the sailor's daughter podcast remember to like and comment i'd love to hear your thoughts on any of these interviews i've done so far and what you would like to hear more and i hope you all listen again have a great day